Good evening, church. Tonight we, uh, we gather to specifically with the purpose of remembering uh, our Lord and Savior and the price that was paid to rescue us and to give us the hope of eternal life. And, of course, Sunday morning is a day that we celebrate the resurrection, a day of, of incredible joy and and. Um, and, and even tonight, we, we remember his sacrifice with that same undercurrent of joy because we know how it ends. But tonight, we give a special remembrance to Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. And so, um, that's what we're going to do this evening. And I'd like to, like to start us off with prayer and then, and then share from God's word. Father... As we come before you tonight, we do so with thankfulness in our hearts because we know that what you have given to us, we did not deserve. And if you had given us what we deserve, Lord, we would miss out on the joy, the peace, the, the hope. Lord, we, we just thank you that you would Send your son, your one and only son, whom you love, to take our place on the cross. And I ask that you would help us to grow in our understanding of what you've done for us. That our, the depth of our gratitude would, would expand and grow, Lord, that, uh, that every time we think of the cross, that we would just be overcome with thankfulness. Father, we, we, we worship you. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, and worthy of our life, worthy of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to turn the light up just a little so I can read a little bit better. Isaiah chapter 53 is foretold of the coming of the Messiah and what punishment he would endure for our sake. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 say, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, foretells that Jesus Christ would be pierced for our transgressions. That he would be wounded, pierced through, physically, for our transgressions. The word transgressions there implies a, a moral and religious revolt against God, a rebellion against Him. In fact, when we think about the sinful desires of our heart apart from Christ 
and we play that out to the logical end, if that, if that sin within us is, remains unchecked and is allowed to, do, to go uh, uh, its natural course within us, we end up with what we find in Romans chapter 1. I want to read that. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's easy to think of that depth of depravity and, and point our finger in other directions. But the truth is that this is the, all of this that's reflected in Romans chapter 1 is seated within our own hearts apart from Christ. And were those desires to go unchecked, this would be us. And may well be. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, as Paul writes to, to the believers in, in Ephesus, he reminds them of this important truth. In verse 1, And you, speaking to believers, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds the Ephesians that that was you. That not so long ago, that was you that was the target, the who would become this recipient of God's wrath apart from Christ's intervention. That that was us who had our hearts and minds and souls set in rebellion against God, in selfishness and pride and arrogance and evil desires. And Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions. It was Christ who suffered because of our sin. Goes on to say he was crushed for our iniquities. There are several different terms, words, different words used in Isaiah. To help, uh, to help us better understand the depth of the suffering of Christ. The pain and the agony, the torment, what He endured for our sake that we will never truly grasp. It's impossible for us to overstate the suffering or the salvation that comes through Christ. He was bruised, that's the term there, crushed. He was bruised, whipped, beaten for our iniquities. And that word iniquity there would be, we, um, carries with it the idea of perversity, moral evil. And as we know in Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 there, that it is not only what comes, uh, what we do on the outside, the words we speak and the actions we do, but also what transpires in our own heart that stands as sin against God. And it was for these things that Jesus was pierced, crushed, bruised, beaten. Isaiah says it was upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That word here that in the ESV is translated chastisement is meant to convey the severity of punishment that Christ took upon Himself. A severity of punishment, not merely a severe punishment as we would think of one guilty of a crime paying for their wrong, but even more than that, that Christ took on the severe punishment of God's wrath and judgment against my sin, against your sin, for each one of us, for our grandparents, for their grandparents, for people that are total strangers to us throughout the ages, 
and for those that are yet to come, yet to be born into this world. Christ stepped in between us and the wrath of God and took it upon himself. And it's because of this that we have peace. What is this peace? It's peace between us and our righteous judge. See, we, as Paul told the Ephesians, we were by nature, our very nature, which we could not change, was a nature of being children of wrath. That is, that we deserved God's judgment. God's judgment was coming to us at some point. And that with the passing of each day, His judgment drew near. His wrath against us drew near. A wrath that we deserved. But it was Christ who stepped between us and the very wrath of God who paid in full our penalty, our punishment, for all the wrong, all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of the evil within us, to pay that price that we would be at peace with our Creator rather than the objects of His wrath. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 speaks to this. There are several passages that we're going to look at. In the tail end of this verse, uh, though it's not the, the major thought of this particular passage, is, is of critical importance. It's Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath of God is coming. As Romans says that the wrath of God is being poured out. The wrath of God is coming to each one of us. And it's Jesus who delivers us from that wrath. Just like it was God who rescued His people out of Egypt, it's God who rescues us out of a hopeless, despairing situation where we stand in the wake of His coming wrath. Later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. We have salvation from God's wrath. We've been saved from it because of Jesus Christ who died for us. He died in our place. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, made right with God, um, and this is a think of it as a legal term. So if you've committed a crime and, it, and it's justified, it's as if you never committed a crime. Things have been made right. So therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What this means is that instead of operating out of fear of our Creator, we operate out of love and affection for Him because He's our Father. He's the one who loves us, not the one who any longer condemns us because of Christ. Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God shows us His love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. 
There it is again, the being saved by the wrath of God through the blood of Christ. And the, the incredible truth is that while we were still sinners, it wasn't like we started cleaning up our act, that we started, you know, the saying, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It was impossible for us to do. It would be like saying that, um, it would be like saying that God decided to save the Israelites out of Egypt when they finally left Egypt. Well, that would make no sense. God miraculously intervened to save them because they couldn't do anything to save themselves, which is the position we find ourselves in while we were still sinners and set against God in our heart. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and says this, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Verse 21, I think, is so important, especially for those like myself who have grown up with good parents in a church setting pretty much all my life. Um, you know, I, my nose was fairly clean through my growing up years, but the reality is, in my heart, in my soul, this is who I was, alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. No different than anybody else. But there's such a temptation for those of us who grew up in, in the church to see ourselves as maybe not needing saved from quite as much as everybody else. That we're not quite as depraved as everyone else, and yet, from God's perspective, we are all in need of a Savior, equally in need of His grace, of His salvation, of the blood of Christ to step in and save us and forgive us. Isaiah says it's by his wounds that we are healed. The wound, the word that's translated there, wounds, is also sometimes uh, translated stripes. And the idea with that particular word is that Jesus was flogged, beaten on our behalf. And the incredible thing is that while Jesus took on such agony, pain, physical agony, with the process of going to the cross and then the cross itself, that wasn't even the hardest part for him. But it was taking the wrath of the Father poured out against all of us. Only he took it upon himself. First Peter Chapter 2, verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How many of, how many of us could that be said? That when we're reviled, we didn't revile in return. When we suffer, we don't threaten. We don't have evil thoughts. We don't accuse. But Jesus Christ, perfect and sinless, even in that, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In John's Gospel, John chapter 10, Jesus says he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays his life down to rescue his sheep. Peter has that same idea in verse 25. And that clear thought that it was Jesus himself that bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's a way in which we are crucified with Christ. That sinner, the one who deserves God's wrath, the one who stands in the wake of the coming tidal wave of God's judgment, crucified with Christ on the cross when we receive Him by faith so that we may live. God gives us life. Eternal life. When it speaks of healing as Peter did and as Isaiah does, what is it that we are healed from? Well, that that word there has with it the idea of being made whole, being restored completely. What did we need to be made whole from? What did we need restored completely from? It was the brokenness and corruption of sin. It was as if a, you know, a piece of iron lays at the bottom of the ocean, being corroded day after day, year after year. Someone plucks it out of the, out of the bottom of the ocean and somehow can restore it to its perfectness before it ever saw the salt water. God takes our corruption in our soul, in our heart, the brokenness, all those things that have been touched by sin and begins to heal them, to put them back together to make us whole. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, in the old days, and this is what Hebrews is speaking to, this portion of Hebrews, in the old days in the sacrificial system of, of Israel, the priest's job was never done. Sin was never fully accounted for. There was one sacrifice after another that must be offered for the sins of the people. And yet Hebrews says that when Christ stepped in and gave himself the perfect sacrifice for humanity, he sat down. Extremely significant because the priests never sat down because their job was never done. But Christ's sacrifice was once and for all completed. The perfect sacrifice. Single offering. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ 
who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Not only did Jesus Christ take our punishment at the cross, but he makes us a whole new person. Now we have a real bad habit of going back to live like the old person that God saved us from. Sometimes Lot, like Lot's wife, when God rescued Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife just couldn't help but look back to the very thing that God was saving them from. And sometimes we have a tendency to go back and live like that old person that Jesus Christ died for and that was crucified with him on that cross when we received him by faith. But we are a new creator now, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians chapter 2 again, verse 13. For our, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Believer, if you have received Christ by faith, there is now no longer any offense between you and God. There is not one sin that remains undealt with, unpaid for. They all have been nailed to the cross. You are not guilty in the eyes of God any longer because He has laid down His life for you and taken the punishment of every one of those. We have, we have friends, neighbors, loved ones, family members, people that we interact with that may be relative strangers to us, but we know their face or we know their name, who are without Christ. Not one sin has been paid for. Every, rat, every sin still will be accounted for by God. And God's judgment and wrath is heading straight toward them. A tidal wave that cannot be outrun, it cannot be escaped. But God has called us like Christ who stood in the gap for us. He has called us to intercede for those who are without Christ to ask the Father to bring them to Him, to pray for them. So many that 
are headed to an eternity of God's judgment and don't even realize it or are ignoring it. So tonight, as we think about the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we think about His mission, which was to come and die to save us. That that now becomes our mission. That our, our life is laid down before Him that we accept His mission as belonging to us. That is, that He came to seek and save those who were lost. And Corinthians says that we are now Christ's ambassadors. This job has become our job to seek those who are lost and to bring them to Jesus Christ for salvation. So what I would like to do tonight as we conclude is I would like to take some time to pray for those people that we know that the Lord continues to put on our heart and on our mind who are without hope, the hope of, of eternal life, who are without God's forgiveness, who are without the reality of the love of God being with them, to pray for them, to ask the Lord to somehow reach them in the depths of their soul to bring them to Him. That they would receive Christ by faith and realize the work that He did on the cross for them. So let us invite you, if you want to come forward, uh, you may. If you want to stay where you're at, you may. If you want to gather uh, with others, you, you may do whatever you would like to. Pray out loud, pray quiet, stand, whatever you would like to do. But I would like to, as, as believers who have been blessed with this gift that God has given us, that we now ask Him to bring others into that. Would you bow your heads and um, move wherever you would like to and pray for those that the Lord brings to mind who need Christ. who still remain lost in their sins, who still remain the object of your wrath. And Lord Jesus, we know that you gave your life for them, that you came to rescue them just as you came to rescue us. Lord, those, some of whom are in our own families, Lord, all of those, though, that you bring to our mind and heart, Lord, who need you, we ask that you would do whatever it takes to penetrate whatever stands between them and peace with you through Jesus Christ. We ask that your spirit would open their eyes, that they would receive your truth and understand it, that they would see this incredible gift that you have offered to them through the cross. Lord, we, we are so grateful to you. Lord, I pray that there would not be a day that goes by that we fail to, to be immensely grateful for what you have done and the hope that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. And may the Lord bless and keep you as you uh, remember his sacrifice for you. For those of us who believe, he laid his life down for you and you've been set free from the guilt of your sin. That's a heavy load that he's removed. Lord bless you.